welcome to a special episode of Inside Florida Politics. I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and I'm really excited today to be talking to two great journalists about an in-depth project they've been working on that takes a hard look at Florida's election systems and policies to see if we're prepared as a state for what's to come in 2020. This project is a collaboration between Gannett's Florida newspapers. We're calling it Will My Vote Count? And what could be more important? Elections are the bedrock of free societies, but Florida has a history of election fiascos. This is the state that drew national attention in 2000 for a recount that introduced Americans to terms like hanging chads and butterfly ballots. They made an HBO movie out of that drama, which was only resolved when the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in. Fast forward to 2016 and Russian hackers broke into a number of county election systems in Florida. Then in 2018, the state was an elections laughing stock again during the midterms as county supervisors struggled to get ballots counted on time and complete three statewide recounts. Now Florida is poised to play a pivotal role in picking the next president. And there are big questions about whether we're prepared for another high profile election. Are the election systems secure or are we still vulnerable to hackers? Are local election supervisors prepared to handle what could be record voter turnout? Are Florida lawmakers working to make it easier to vote or harder? The two reporters with me today can answer some of those questions. Jeffrey Schwears and John Kennedy report on state politics for Gannett's Florida newspapers, and both did extensive reporting for this project. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. It's great to be here. Good Uh, to be here, Zach. Good to have you both. Uh, Really excited about this. This is a really, really interesting project, and I think it's going to be a great service for our readers. Jeff, let's start with you. Your story looks at election security, which has become a really big issue in Florida in recent years. First, tell us a little bit about the hacking that we've seen. What do you know about what Russians did in Florida in 2016? Right. Well, that's an interesting story in and of itself, because, you know, at at first, uh, state elections officials and the governor, former Governor Scott, were saying, oh, we didn't get hacked. Um, Everything was secure. Your vote was secure. It only came out in the Mueller report that, in fact, uh, at least one county was hacked. And then a month later, an FBI briefing of Governor DeSantis revealed that two counties were hacked uh, and the governor signed a non-disclosure agreement preventing him from telling the public which two counties were hacked. Now, there's a lot of speculation. There's a a Washington Post and Politico sources said that one of the counties was little old Washington County up in the Florida panhandle, a real heavy Trump territory of about 30,000 some odd voters. There's some speculation that Volusia County may have been the other county that was hacked because there was a report that their election supervisor spotted a uh, malicious email and then alerted people about it. So as information has come out and then... we, it seems like more and more the, the the universe of counties that were hacked seems to be expanding as more and more intelligence reports are submitted to the uh, Congress. Uh, in fact, in uh, over the summer, there was a, an intelligence report that the FBI and Department of Homeland Services actually reached out to four counties and warned them about hacking. And those counties actually re- like refused to heed their warnings. Hmm. That's we, uh, Gradually, we, we, we've learned that maybe as many as four counties were hacked. But not a lot of information here. This is, this is stuff that we had to piece together from different sources. The government officials were not that forthcoming about this. Correct. And over, I mean, this is like information that eked out over a nine month period. And as a result of a lot of, you know, heavy, hard hitting investigative reporting to try to get to the bottom of things. And we're still, I mean, not, you know, at the bottom. There's still a lot we don't know. Like we don't know 
the extent to which the, these counties were hacked. We do know that VR Systems, a, a Tallahassee-based IT company that provides voter registration software and, and also the voter registration uh, check-in equipment for now all 67 counties, was central to the Russian hacking scheme, whereby they created a fake VR Systems email that went out to multiple states and uh, apparently all the counties. It went out to 120 different IP addresses. Um, so we know it was extensive yeah. and it only was a matter of time before we finally knew that, yeah, in fact, there was a breach of these systems. Now, one thing that's been consistently said by state officials and federal officials is that, well, it was only the voter registration system. It wasn't the election tabulating right. system they, they itself. They were changing votes, basically. Right. They were changing votes, but what a lot of security experts I've talked to said is that that can wreak havoc in and of itself. If you're messing with voter registration data, then people could wind up at their polling place. Right. And they say, you're not, you can't vote. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wild. I mean, that could certainly affect the vote, especially if you want to impact one group of voters or Republicans or Democrats, you could go in there and uh, deregister thousands of voters and and swing the election, right? Potentially. And that didn't happen apparently, uh, but we don't know because we don't know which counties were infiltrated and to what extent, because they're under the cybersecurity and information sharing act. They're all, they're all clamming up. Well, it's a remarkable story. And it's it's uh, one of the big reasons we wanted to do this project, right? Because if you have hackers going into our voting systems, that that's a big concern. This is this is what our democracy is based around. And, and so the question is, what are they doing to stop this? What are they doing to secure our elections? We don't have all the details, but you reached out to elections officials. Uh, tell us what kind of responses you I got did. to your records. I, and, and let me just say, uh, so I did, I took a two-pronged approach uh, where I basically, I sent out one public record request that was sort of built on this FBI uh, report that was submitted to a Senate Intelligence Committee that gave me specific dates that the FBI contacted county election officials running up to the election and specific, you know, search terms that I could ask them to look for. And every one, but all, all 67, except for two counties, said uh, there are no documents responsive to your request. Or they said, oh, that information is covered under the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act. It's an issue of national security. We can't tell you that. The second public records request that I sent was basically, you know, we knew knew that Congress approved $380 million after the 2016 election in uh, Help America Vote Act grants, of which Florida got $15.5 million. So I wanted to know how every one of the counties spent the money that they received from this grant, and all but 16 of them sent me redacted, I mean, blanked out pages. In fact, a couple of election supervisors just sent me an email saying, nope, we don't have any records that we can send you because of federal and state security laws that prevent us from sending this. So getting back to the hacking question, two counties, Alachua and Orange, responded in the affirmative that, yes, we were counted by the FBI and DHS prior to the election, but we have no records responsive to that request. And then I got email from Alachua County, as I persisted, that that actually said, yeah, we got, we talked to the FBI in October and November of 2016 about this fish, spear phishing right. that was mocking a VR systems email. So, so that turned out to be pretty interesting. I thought I, yeah. had, I had paid her with that one. <laughs> let, let me see if I understand what you're saying here. We had this massive sensational story. Russians are hacking our elections, a, a story that rightly would concern people. And you reached out to election supervisors and said, what happened? Were you hacked? Uh, tell us a little bit about it. And what are you doing to prevent it? And basically they said, uh, most of them, at least we can't tell you 
either one, basically. That's exactly right. I mean, the and then the only 16 counties would share with me exactly what they spent this money on to shore up the vulnerabilities that were in their systems. Hmm. So again, it, and then I, as I kept pushing on them and asking questions, I found out that if I had made this public records request prior to August of this of last year, I might have gotten more information because all the supervisors of elections signed a non-disclosure hmm. agreement with the Department of State that basically says they can't disclose any information about election security, what they've done to shore up the, the vulnerabilities and weaknesses in their systems, which I you know think was in part was an attempt to like not embarrass supervisors elections who had like 10 year old firewalls, for hmm. instance, or or software that was way outdated and could have easily been. So you think they're just trying to protect themselves to some degree? That well, that's what some of the people that I've talked to out in the like cybersecurity community think. Right. Also, some voting rights advocates think. Yeah, and that's not They're, that's not a legitimate use of uh you know shielding information to not embarrass yourself here. Well, two of the state public records statutes that they're using as an exemption, two of the state's uh, sunshine law experts I reached out to said that that's not how that works because it's supposed to, it's it's coverage for state agencies and the supervisors of elections aren't state agencies. They're constitutional offices. They don't really report to the Department of State. The Department of State does oversee elections and they provide, you know, legal counsel on, on questions that the supervisors might have, but they're all independently elected officers except for Miami-Dade County, which is appointed. So one of the big findings of your story is that there's just not a lot of accountability here. We're basically just supposed to trust them that they're doing the right thing, that they're protecting us. Everything's hunky-dory. No no, no worries here, folks. Uh, we've got this under control. Well, that that is essentially... Correct. I mean, there, you know, we've in press conferences, we've confronted the Secretary of State, we've asked the governor, we've talked to supervisors of elections, we've talked to the president of the Supervisors of Elections Association, and they've all said that we can't share this information with you. We can tell you that we created a this collective group. We've come up with cybersecurity agents to help the poorer counties who might not have IT experts. You know, they did uh, over the summer, they did, uh, in fact, DeSantis, the governor, ordered the Department of State to to do an audit of all 67 counties. And it basically is a logics and assessment test that they conduct regularly anyway. But normally that's available to the public. Right. These tests are public, a matter of public record. But they're, when I asked Secretary of State Lee for the report, she said, no, I can't give you that. It's shielded. It's exact. So even things that were public in the past, they're saying are no longer public because of this. Right, exactly. Now, one official I spoke to on background said that, well, really, we're just, you know, this, this cybersecurity non-disclosure agreement is, we're really not asking to exempt any information that isn't already exempt. And my question was, then why is it necessary? And there was not an answer to that. And so we're still sort of, there's some fronts that we're still pushing on, like, all right, why was this agreement right. even necessary? Why do we not know about this, the results of this audit to, that exposed vulnerability and how much money was spent. You know, what did they need to do? Did they need to upgrade firewalls? Now, there are best practices, and we talked to some people about what the best practices are. And in general, I mean, I think the state can say like, well, we've done things like made sure every county is connected to this Albert system, which detects malicious emails and other activities, right? They've joined this ERIC program, which is a, a national program that verifies voter registration addresses and such. And so there are things that are being done 
done that they can talk about on a broad level. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, like if you want to know how much money Pinellas County spent on upgrading firewalls or buying like a new voter check-in machines, it's just not known unless we kind of like look at the 16 counties that did provide unredacted information. Look at how like, oh, there's an EVID voter check-in machine they bought for X amount of money. Then go, you know, pull up some redacted counties sheet and look at and try and match dollar amounts. And it would be a it would be a total rabbit hole dive to try and figure out what they spent. But I think for this for what we do know, I can say that you know for the counties that did share the information, here are some of the things that you know they upgraded their firewalls, they bought new software, they even bought new batteries for their tabulating equipment, so they had fresh batteries in case the old battery, which was which was a problem. Some of the equipment failed because they didn't have backup batteries. Correct, right? But even as far as like putting up bollards yeah. in front of the election office to keep people from like driving their cars through the election right. office doors or whatever. I don't know why you would. <laughs> so, but all that, you know, that's that those are examples of some of the things that they spent right. this federal money on. And not knowing the details, like some people might listen to this and say, well, they told you in general what they're doing. Isn't that good enough? But if you don't know the details, you don't really know whether they did substantial things in certain areas. Maybe they say, well, we spent money on a firewall, but it could be some cheap software that's off the shelf. You don't know if they're really doing what they should be doing. Exactly. We don't know who the vendors are. So if something goes wrong and they are operating now under the shield of secrecy because of this non-disclosure agreement, you know, it's even a question of like, if something goes wrong and it's related to hacking or or some other kind of, you know, cybersecurity issue, will the state even tell us? Are we going to come up? I think, I mean, it seems to me like we're in a perilous situation where as reporters doing our job, if something goes wrong and we ask the Secretary of State or we ask the Supervisor of Elections in whichever county something went wrong, they're going to throw up the Cybersecurity Act right. and these others and this non-disclosure agreement and say, we can't tell you. That non-disclosure agreement, now that was mandated by the feds, right, to get some of this federal election security money. How much of this? I mean, because, I don't know that it was because was it? the election, the first round of election security money was released in, I think, 2017 or 18. John, can you check me on that? Do you know? I think it was 2017. So that was 2017. And then they returned the unspent portion back to the state. Right. And that's the the money that Governor DeSantis turned around and reallocated and sent back out to the counties that hadn't used up all their money. So... But the, I, I but mean, then that, the, but yeah. and this non disclosure agreement was signed in 2019, in August 2019, okay. after actually after many, many months of negotiation with the county supervisors who objected to the first draft that was promulgated by the Secretary of State. Hmm. So I need to. It's a really good question. Yeah, are they imposing like this, this secrecy on themselves or are they I, uh, somebody my, else doing it? My guess is that they are imposing this on themselves and yeah. I don't think the feds are asking for this. Well, Governor DeSantis, as you remember, he said that he, he could not disclose which counties. Yeah, he signed that with the FBI. Because he signed FBI with the FBI. Yeah. Maybe that's where but, the idea of non-disclosure <laughs> Yeah, it seems, to be, it seems to be catching popularity catching. right now. That well, you as, and, as, and, as, and as Steve Fasquet said in a column he wrote back in November of 2019, this non-disclosure agreement 
agreement punches a hole through our public records law that you could drive a Russian tank through. I mean, and and on top of that, I mean, and, and the urgency here, too, is that our election supervisors are not being very reassuring when they're saying as late as December that, yeah, we're getting every day we're getting information that people are trying to hack our system. Right. And that it's there's no finish. And as the Secretary of State, Laurel, Lauren Lee said, there's no finish line to this. I mean, well, what at what point we're in no position to verify what she's saying because of the lack of information that we're getting. It's just kind of amazing to me, you know, if if like Visa or MasterCard or Target or somebody got hacked and they got your financial information, you would really expect to be told about that. It's, it's critical to, to know about that. If people are going to you know, run up your bank account, but with your vote, one of the most important things that you have, you're not obligated to tell people that they're getting hacked and that your vote could be compromised. That's a really good point because the FBI said that they don't they tell the victims they were hacked. All right. So and that's what led to the original yeah, embarrassment yeah. that Rick Scott and Ken Detzner face where right. they're saying, oh, no problem. Nothing was hacked. When, in fact, the FBI had told counties they were right. hacked. Counties knew they were hacked. They hadn't shared that information with the state. Now the FBI is saying, oh, well, we're going to share this information with the state now. But the question is. Well, who are the real victims here? It's not the supervisors of elections, isn't it? The voters, right? I mean, and if it is the supervisors of elections, well, the FBI said that, like, we're not. If they want to tell you they were hacked, they can do that. Now, Leon County Supervisor of Elections Mark Early told me many months ago that if he had information that Leon County was hacked, he would tell his voters. And then he signed this non-disclosure agreement, and he now he says it's well, I'll have to take it on a case by case basis. But why is it up to them to be able to decide that? I mean, is it something where maybe there needs to be some state legislation that says you have an obligation to tell people if your voting information was accessed by hackers? I mean, it, there is no real obligation in the law? Well, you would think so, because yeah. like when Target was hacked or when other private company was hacked, they did tell their customers right. about the hack and what to do about it. I, I guess the difference is that, you know, Target is not part of our national security infrastructure. Right. The, our election system is. So there is sort of a, you know, and I think that, in you know, in fairness to the state and county election officials, they kind of want to have it both ways. They want to be as transparent as they can be under what they see as these maybe self-imposed restrictions. Right. You know, which uh, these First Amendment and Sunshine Law experts say is like dubious. You know, that they're, they don't, like one, uh, Barbara Peterson said she she's never heard of anybody claiming an exemption before under the Cyber Information Security Act. And she said, and besides, any state agency or, or state official that wants to claim exemption on, under a federal law has to find a federal law that's that's specific right and i don't know that this is it's very generic there are you know a couple of statements in the cybersecurity act that speak to local governments and indian tribes being able to exempt certain information and the one of the ironies is the cyber information security act was designed to give private companies and local governments and Native American tribes kind of a safe haven to share hacking information and other cybersecurity violations with the federal government. But part of that also includes an exemption to sharing that information with the general public. And your story also says that one of the laws that they're using to exempt this information was really aimed more towards like home security systems. Or- right. <laughs> not, yeah. And not cybersecurity, but right. even in the whatever stretch of the interpretation law you want to say is kosher and you're going to agree with this. Like, how does that include bollards yeah. and security lights? 
lights and batteries. And, you know, it, it kind of gets back to, uh, as another election official told me on background, that, well, it's like you've got a Ford or you've got a Chevrolet, but you're not saying which model. You're saying, I have a Dominion voter t- voting tabulator or I have an ES&S tabulator. And I said, well, if I want to know which model they're using, all I have to do is look on the Department of State's website because <laughs> they list the exact models that they've certified for use in Florida. So again, I mean, it's like, why does this why does this non-disclosure agreement even exist when there are other ways to get the information some of this information like what election tabulating equipment they've bought which prior to i'll say one yeah. one of the supervisors of elections told me like i asked him, well like why did you provide me with all this information unredacted you know all these other counties sent me all this redacted information he goes well because this was information that i sh- i've shared before right it's been public information in the past hmm. so why would i not share it and the, the counties that aren't sharing it are basically saying we can't share this because it's going to give the hackers a blueprint to hack it's going to give the right it's going to give the russians like if they know the exact model uh you know voter registration laptop you bought that might give the russians an edge well i think the russians kind of figured out in 2016 how to infiltrate not just florida counties but they did a huge job in north carolina right i mean that's i've seen i've written read politico stories about how you know vr systems is is still seems like they're they're kind of a a vulnerability in this whole election system but Hmm. you know vr systems at first said they weren't hacked and then you know we have these reports that said that showed how russians used vr systems systems to infiltrate these county election systems so I, it is it, it, yeah <laughs> it's just mind-boggling sometimes I mean, yeah i'm amazed at how much you've untangled this because it gets really dense you know and, and these uh, records exemption laws when you're dealing with national security and the federal government i mean i think you've done a lot of work and uh, your story uh, and your explanation here really helps boil it down in a way that i think is really uh, helpful for people going forward because this is not the last time that we're going to deal with this issue hacking is a way of life now and and governments are going to continue to try and hack our voting uh, systems. And so, uh, you know, it's good to shine a little bit of light in the darkness here. Tell people what's going on. You know, this is the digital age. And I think we're only going to uh, have more attention to this issue. So I have a feeling this won't be the last time you write about this. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. John Kennedy, you also have a really interesting story that you wrote for this project. And uh, I'm eager to talk to you about it. Your story looks at an entirely different aspect of Florida. Uh, elections. You know, we have the election security, but there's all sorts of stuff that goes into protecting your vote, protecting your right to vote. And you're looking at efforts by Florida lawmakers to change some of the laws surrounding voting. Your story notes that the GOP controlled legislature has been accused of trying to manipulate who can vote in an effort to help Republicans win. So your story is more about will people even really get a chance to vote? Walk us through some of these policy fights that we've seen in Florida over the years. Yeah, we've had a lot of them. Uh, Florida is actually seeing nationally as a uh, generally progressive state when it comes to voter access to the ballot with early voting, vote by mail, a fairly expansive voter ID situation. Those are all part of the elections landscape. But many of these more progressive changes have been the result of court orders with voting organizations and other nonprofits basically suing ruling Republican officials in the state over laws that were passed that were seen as denying people access. The view of many uh, voter advocacy organizations is that Republicans are wary of expanding the electorate in a state that has grown 
more ethnically diverse, uh, you know, where it's easier for minorities or young people to cast ballots. Those are all seen as potentially dangerous to uh, the Republican majority, since these groups tend to vote Democratic. Um, uh, of course, you know, none of this is easily proven, but the perception is there, and the party's actions uh, in recent years may may really bolster this view. Some of the early voting standards, vote by mail, polling places on college campuses, Spanish language ballot material, voter registration deadlines and signature matches on absentee ballots. All of the standards that we have now have emerged from lawsuits uh, that came in response to laws seen as Republicans looking to limit the opportunities for voters. Now, you know, we're in the middle again of uh, as we have a, a new election year dawning, we're in the middle of another protracted fight over felons voting, where uh, a new law signed by Governor Ron DeSantis last year required that any fees, fines or restitution that's owed by the 1.4 million person pool of Floridians with felony convictions, that money must be paid before they're allowed to vote. And uh, so, I mean, this was only in law because Florida voters put it there, this felons voting rights uh, initiative, to your point that a lot of the reforms have come from lawsuits. I mean, this wasn't a lawsuit, but this was a uh, constitutional amendment that people put on the ballot. It was a, a system that went outside the legislature. The legislature has not done a lot to expand voting rights, really. Yeah, not in that regard. And, and yeah, indeed, the uh, felons voting effort was a constitutional amendment where it was a ballot in- initiative that People had gotten uh, almost 800,000 signatures to get that onto the ballot. And and the amendment itself uh, was silent on this issue of uh, paying or not paying. And it's been a, an interpretation of what voters intended to do when they... Uh, when they cast the ballots in favor of it. So that issue is set to go to a federal trial in April, and uh, it kind of looms right now as a uh, potential big factor in the November elections coming up. The, the state is one you know, where it's been a presidential battleground since 2000, at least, when George W. Bush won a 537-vote court challenge victory to carry Florida and win the White House. You know, it's funny, another statistic that also maybe underscores this divide and, you know, adds to the perception that the state's ruling Republicans may not be big fans of expanding the electorate. While two thirds of Americans, 67 percent, say that everything possible should be done to make it easy for every citizen to vote, Republicans, especially conservative Republicans, are less likely to hold this view. That's according to a 2018 Pew Research Center survey. So there may be something to this partisan question in a state where Republicans have dominated state politics for the past two decades. Some of these actions by the legislature have really uh, caused a lot of uh, national attention. You know, you had early voting in 2008. Barack Obama did really well in early voting. And, it, uh, you know, about a third of people voted early in that election. You had big turnout for early voting. And it was some studies showed that he did well in early voting, that he, you know, that he won a good percentage of that vote. And then you have after that election, the legislature turns around and restricts early voting, you know, and, and shrinks it from 14 days to eight days. And then you have the 2012 presidential race and we see these big lines at the polls and people who are lined up around the block for early voting. And there's all this attention on Florida. Why can't we figure out how to do this? Why are people waiting in this, these big lines? But that 
was perceived as in part a a reaction or a consequence of this move by the legislature to restrict early voting after 2008. So some of the problems that we've seen in Florida, I mean, Florida is an elections laughing stock often. Some of the problems are self-inflicted, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. And uh, as you pointed out with that uh, change uh, that was done to uh, early voting, uh, the legislature after the 2012 election and all the uh, you know the long right. lines. And then they changed it they back. Changed it back. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they changed it back. They literally, they changed it and then they changed it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they still got President Obama getting a second term. Yeah, because Obama that. didn't do anything. Yeah. Obama won in Florida in 2012 yeah. uh, and was able to overcome that. But that was really clearly seen as an effort to limit, I mean, because a lot of Democratic voters, I, mean, I don't know a lot, but a, a decent number of them are maybe more lower frequency voters or, or people who wait till the last minute or who are more, you know, the, the, the party goes out and pulls them out to the polls and, and gets them out there during the last weeks of the election. And, and so they tend to to benefit from things like early voting more. Right? Yeah, that, that's very true. And, 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 you know, both parties fight fiercely for this state and the voting laws enacted are are, you know, really piled on top of each other in a way that can complicate things for voters and for election officials, uh, you know, because of the partisan balance in the state, our elections tend to be very tight. Uh, we just went through, uh, all of us remember, three statewide recounts in 2018. That, that attests to just what a toss-up state it is. Uh, we're also a state with a lot of transitory residents uh, and in-state migration. So people change addresses. They don't know where their polling places are. They're college students, or they join uh, the, the millions and millions of people who choose to vote early by mail, but maybe don't mail their ballots until it's too late. You know, we've had ballots with a lot of candidates and constitutional questions on them. Sometimes the ballot design is flawed, causing voters to miss a big race or two. We had some of that criticism in the 2018 U.S. Senate race. So we have some user errors that can make a mess of our elections, really, along with the tight nature of uh, the results. Yeah. And we just saw the legislature have to come back and try and fix some problems here uh, after the 2018 election, where we had big problems with the recount and people not getting their recount done in time. Big problems with uh, vote by mail ballots and people whose signature on vote by mail ballots, you know, that if it didn't match the signature that they had on file, they didn't have a lot of time to cure that. You had Broward County where, you know, they put the uh, instructions for the ballot. Uh, they put the Senate race right below that. And it was perceived that a lot of people skipped over that Senate race and that you had a big undervote in that race. I mean, aren't these foreseeable problems? I, 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 but why does the legislature keep having to go back and, and fix some of these things? Yeah, it's it's kind of a Rube Goldbergian <laughs> kind of creation, I guess, when it comes to elections. And, uh, you know, there's one law that conflicts with another law, maybe. Or, you know, they're dealing with a, a lot of stuff when it comes yeah. to early voting and uh, vote by mail. And the legislature, indeed, last, last year did try to address some of the f- flaws that were exposed in 2018. But, you know, there, there's other ideas that are gaining strength in, in many states that Florida is not looking to do. And uh, that's uh, same-day voter registration and automatic voter registration. Both are seen as reducing some of the problems with the use of mail-in ballots and people showing up at the wrong polling place on election day and having to cast provisional ballots, which, you know, people fear may not be counted. 21 states and the District of Columbia use a uh, same-day registration. 
That's uh, where you can register to vote and cast a ballot on the same day. In Florida now, you have to register at least 29 days before an election to vote. Hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of people aren't even paying attention to the election yeah, 29 yeah. days before. I mean, for the average person who tunes in like a few weeks before, I mean, uh, uh, that basically, if they're not registered, oh, well. Huh? Right. Yeah, it's too yeah. late. And, and you know, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people are kind of spontaneous voters. They yeah. want to vote when yeah, want to get around to it. There's strong evidence that uh, same day registration increases voter turnout because, uh, you know, uh, immediately following the uh, implementation of some of the same day registration in states, they usually see a boost in voter numbers because people just, as, as you point out, uh, tend to vote late think about voting late, and uh, here they have an opportunity to do it. Automatic voter registration also is catching on. This is kind of a modern version of the motor voter laws, which began back in the 90s, where you can register to vote when you register a vehicle in the state or renew a driver's license. With automatic registration, uh, digital information on the voter can be electronically transferred to the voter registration database through uh, just regularly scheduled uploads. And uh, th th that is seen as making for a, a little bit of a cleaner voter registration role because of the process up updates the existing registrations with current addresses. Sure. Yeah. So you, you have more efficient elections is, is kind of the view, and it reduces the use of provisional ballots, which are used when there's a discrepancy in a voter's uh, registration status. But it it also gets more people on the rolls automatically, and that's used in 16 states. Uh, and you know, neither are in Florida, right. nor are they contemplated in the immediate future. So again, maybe Republican legislators are wary. Right, and a lot of states consider these best practices, but some Republicans consider these like. Democrat reforms, that this is going to get a bunch of Democrats out to the polls. I remember when Blaze and Golia was pushing the uh, election reform bill last year that was in response to 2018 election. He said, this is a bipartisan bill. We're not it's not we're not taking a bunch of Democrat ideas and putting it in here. So they really they've identified these and try and put some partisan pressure to resist these. Right. Yeah, it does become a battleground between the two parties as to uh, how far they should go. And, you know, it just seems inherently that the Republican majority. Yeah, you know, one thing that's kind of a wild card for both parties is you're seeing a rise in no party affiliation voters. Right. That, that, that's the most dominant registration right now. And it's it's reaching the level in this state where it's almost rivaling the number of registrations for the partisan parties. And I think that is such a wild card for elected officials that they're always going to be very uh, careful when it comes to uh, doing anything that adds to that voter pool. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the way people criticize with another political uh, process we go through every 10 years, political reapportionment, where uh, politicians are often accused of choosing their voters by the way they draw district lines. This is a, a similar thing where, you know, how far do you want to go with ballot access? That, in a way, creates the voter pool that's going to elect you. Do, do legislators have a, a built-in interest right. in, uh, in, in on the Republican side, maybe limiting voter voting in urban areas in Florida where it's becoming more, you know, minority, more ethnic, more potentially Democrat. And that has been one of the overarching concerns with uh, Amendment 4 and the felons voting uh, rights restoration, that this is going to add, uh, you know, tons of Democrats to the uh, voter rolls. There's no direct proof of that, 
but I think that's the uh, fear. It's been a huge debate uh, since I've been covering the legislature. It seems like every year or two, there's some kind of legislation that's aimed uh, at voting and and who can vote or when you can vote, how you can vote. I think it's an interesting story, John. I mean, pointing out that some of the issues that we've seen in Florida has been, as I said, an election laughing stock a number of times. And some of the issues may be self-inflicted here. And it's important to look at who's uh, making some of these policies and, and who they benefit. We have these two stories from John and Jeffrey going in this uh, elections package. We also have some other really interesting stories that I hope you all will check out. They'll be posted online uh, with this package. We have a look at the new Broward supervisor of elections who was brought in to really clean up some big problems that were exposed in that county during the 2018 election. We have a look at Collier County's aggressive voter maintenance efforts. There's even a video of online of us talking here. So I hope you'll go on and, and look at this package. We've spent a lot of time and I think it's really important to understand as we go into this really high profile consequential election, some of the issues surrounding voting here. So Jeffrey, John, thank you for telling us a little bit about your stories. Thanks, Zach. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. We'll wrap this up. Please uh, tune in in the future. uh, We have a regular Inside Florida Politics podcast. You can go online wherever you get that podcast. Every week, we're talking about all the big developments in state politics. We're out of here.